So speaking of anxiety, let's talk about Crowley three years ago. (laughs) Um, Three years ago, I got into something where I was super excited about starting a brand new church, super excited to see what God was going to do, but I was also struck with a ton of fear. Um, I remember Sunday morning, September 2014, um, September 14th, 2014 was our first Sunday, and um, I was so excited and so nervous all at the same time that it was Sunday morning at 2.30 in the morning. I woke up, drove to McDonald's, sat at McDonald's. I'm like, I think this is enough time to prepare. (laughs) I remember going over my message and what I was going to say, going over the order of service, going over every little detail, making sure that everything was in place. Although previously before that, two weeks before that, we had done two practice services with every volunteer in place and all the ducks were in a row. But the truth was, There was just an immense fear that came over me. Um, And thank God that my dad was there that Sunday and ended up preaching because I don't I really don't even know if I could have done it. Because you look back and you say, man, we've prepared. We've paved the way for the past six months. We've trained volunteers. We've done all these things. And then you have this thing in the back of your mind. Okay, we've done all this work. But is anybody going to show up? What if, like, you ever have that dream, like, where you show up to school in your underwear? You know what I'm talking about? It's that strict panic of, oh, my God, what happened? I literally had nightmares like that weeks leading up to that. But the truth is, anxiety is a real thing. And it's something that I think most Americans, I think all over the world, um, no matter what, where you're at or where you come from, I think most people deal with it. So I want to just give you a few statistics real quick. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. Watch this, affecting over 40 million adults in the U.S. So roughly that's 18% of the American population that struggles with anxiety. 18%. Now watch this. Experts believe at least 40% of the, of the population actually struggles with anxiety, but only 18% has actually clinically been diagnosed. So it's about 18% of the population that's on some kind of medication or maybe they've gone to a doctor and they're doing something to try to treat that anxiety. But anxiety disorders actually cost the U.S. more than $42 billion, billion with a B, $42 billion a year. And I just real quick, let me give you a few symptoms of anxiety. So anxiety can manifest itself in multiple different ways. It can happen with panic disorders. Um, It can happen with social anxiety. Maybe you walk into a room and you walk into this crowd of people and the first thing you look for is not who you can talk to, but the first thing you look for is where is the corner (laughs) or where is the bathroom? Where do I run off so I can get away from all these people? Um, Anxiety can manifest itself in maybe some OCD tendencies. Um, For me, I have this OCD kind of tendency when it comes to straight lines. So if I ever visit your house and I see a picture out of order, like it'll drive me nuts until I fix that picture. I can't even open my wife's Bible because she doesn't know how to draw a straight line to save her life. All of her highlights are like this. So whenever I see it, I'm like, oh my God. Um, But anxiety can manifest itself maybe in depression, sickness. I don't know if you know this, but anxiety can actually make your body physically sick and can give you headaches, stomach issues, sleep issues, stress, chronic pain. It can also lead you to substance abuse simply because of the fact that you're looking for some kind of relief. Like, I don't know how to deal with all this worry. I don't know how to deal with all this fear. So this is why we tend to gravitate maybe towards, you know, abusing pills or alcohol or whatever it may be, simply because we're looking for a way out because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to deal with it. But before we dive into this, I also want to make a confession because 
I think that sometimes there is this assumption um, because we're pastors or because we're leaders or whatever that we get up here and we just talk about these issues and we tell you how to deal with them. And uh, apparently we've never dealt with them ourselves. But the truth is, um, a few years ago, I dealt with anxiety. I had anxiety so bad that I had to visit the doctor because I had two stomach ulcers. I had literally given myself two stomach ulcers. This was at a time when um, the economy went down. I went out and got another job. Um, and I'm working in the corporate world, filming, and I'm traveling about 260 days out of the year, leaving my family back and forth. And there was just immense pressure. It was a job that I never worked before. I'm learning on the go and all the stress compiling. And uh, I remember getting just major stomach issues, major headaches. And I visited my doctor and the, the thing that he said, he said, look, you're just way too stressed. If he, he said, if you don't slow down, you're going to have some serious issues. So anxiety is a real problem. It is a real thing that real people actually deal with. And I'm going to be really honest with you. This is going to sound controversial in the moment, but I want to help you. And hopefully I can lead it to the end and make sense of it. If you're dealing with anxiety today, the remedy is not just a scripture verse. Take that scripture verse and call your pastor in the morning and see how you're doing. A lot of times as Christians, that's what happens, right? When we're dealing with anxiety or maybe you've been dealing with fear or worry. Maybe somebody's even quoted the verse to you in the middle of a stress situation. Philippians 4, 6. What is it? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. And maybe you pray that scripture and then you walk away and you go, but I'm still full of fear. I'm still extremely anxious. So I'm going to be honest with you. If you're dealing with anxiety, my whole goal today is simply this. Hopefully we can diagnose where it's coming from. I'm not promising you that it's going to leave today. Because it's not just, hey, let's read the scripture verse and all of a sudden the light bulb clicks on and anxiety is gone. The truth is it is a process. But hopefully today for many of us that we can start walking into that process to get onto the road of healing. This is why spiritual family is so important. This is why life groups are so important that hopefully you can pinpoint the issue, then you can run to the body of Christ. You can run to community. You can run to other people. Hey, this is what God is doing in me. This is what I realized today. And I need your help to walk me through this process. I say this in Crowley all the time. The bread and butter of what we do at church is life groups. Like Sunday morning is important. We get encouraged. Hopefully you can hear a word and you can listen to worship and you can get encouraged and pumped up about your relationship with Jesus. But hopefully my goal is this, that today all it does is causes you to run to the body of Christ. All it does is just cause you to run into community and say, man, this is what God is revealing to me. This is what God is doing in me. Can you help me walk through this? Now, the truth is the scriptures are desperately important. We need them. But there is not necessarily, when you're dealing with fear so great, when you're dealing with anxiety so great, just because you hear one scripture verse, I'll be honest with you, I've been at times in my life where maybe depression has been so much or anxiety has been so much, and the words in the scriptures seem just vague. They seem like they don't really penetrate my soul. They seem like it's not what I really need in that moment. And I'm here to tell you today, if you're struggling with anxiety, there's going to be one thing that you have to do that is going to help you. You have to learn to run to other people. Because the truth is, you're going to find yourself at different places in your life when your own faith is not enough to bring you to the next season. You're going to have to learn to lean on other people's faith. The thing that I love about um, the way that our church is set up and the, the way that we do things as pastors, every Wednesday morning we get together and we get to share about not just what God's doing in our churches and what God's doing all over the body of Christ, but we get to talk about our own souls. 
And I'll tell you what, if I didn't have that day every single week, I can be honest with you that there'd probably be things in my life that would be out of order. To me, that Wednesday is my saving grace that I can sit down with other men that actually care about my soul and I can look at them face to face and say, man, these are some things that I'm struggling with. This is where my marriage is at right now. This is where my fears are at. This is where my thoughts are at right now. And that simple confession begins to start a process that is so healing to our souls. And I just want to encourage you before we dive into anything else. I know this summer we're starting. I think you guys are in a new semester as well of life groups. Man, if you're not in one, get in one. Find one that you can get in. You need to find people that you can connect with. Because if God pinpoints something in your life through this message this morning, you're going to need people to help you walk through the process. We even see this in the scriptures real quick. It's going to be on the screen in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. It says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. So what is the, what is the disciple saying? He's saying this, not only do we love you so much that we wanted to teach you the truth, but we also wanted to live life with you. We wanted to do this thing called life. We want to do it together because we know that it's going to be important for us to get to the next place. God doesn't only call us just to share scripture together. He doesn't only call us just to break bread together, but he also calls us to share our souls together, to to share truth together. I say this in in Crowley all the time, but you need to get around people that are not impressed with you. (laughs) You need to get around people that don't care about offending you. You need to get around people that don't care about your accomplishments. They don't care about what, how far you've gotten in life. They can look at you and just say, I'm concerned about your marriage. And if you continue on this track, it's not going to be good. But they can say it in a loving way. They can, say, they, they can say it out of concern, like I genuinely love you. That's the only reason I'm saying this. But sometimes, let's just be honest, as human beings, we like to surround ourselves by people that actually are impressed by us, right? Like, look at my accomplishments, look at my credentials, look what I've done in life, look how far I've gotten. I'm only this far along, I'm only this old, and this is how much I've, comp- I've built this business. And we, we see it with men, especially, all the time. What's the first thing when a group of men get around to, well, the first, hey, what's up, what's up, what do you do? Well, I work in business. Oh, yeah, well, I started business. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> we need to get around people that are not impressed with us. So let's talk about Anxiety. If we want victory in anxiety, we have to understand the biblical anatomy of anxiety. We've first got to understand what we're truly dealing with and how the Bible actually approaches this. So today what I want to do is I want to go all the way back to the beginning when God created everything in Genesis, when God created man. But when God created man and woman, he created us with something called emotions. So we have these things when we get angry. Anybody ever felt anger? (laughs) Anybody ever felt fear? Anybody ever felt worry? We have these emotions that God initially created us with. And this is the question that I want to ask this morning. Is it possible that we struggle with anxiety because our emotions are simply out of order? Is it possible that the anxiety and the fear and that feeling of just being overwhelmed, is it possible that the enemy is taking a God-given design, a God-given emotion that he gave to us in the very beginning, and he's just twisting it, and he's just distorting it? Anxiety, fear, panic, phobias, stress, even these words give us anxiety, right? When we just hear these words, it gives us anxiety. But we have to ask ourselves the question, where is this coming from? 
You ever wait, maybe if you deal with anxiety, you ever wake up in the morning, you're like, what am I, why do I deal with this? Where is this coming from? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so worried? Why am I so overwhelmed? Why am I so fearful? So my premise today is quite simple. Every dysfunctional, fallen emotion is a distortion of God's original plan. It's a distortion of God's original emotion, God's original design that he actually created us with. So if we're going to understand the disorder of anxiety, we first must understand the order that sin has disordered, if that makes sense. So let's go all the way back to the first garden. In the first garden, God placed Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read over it, but if you want to go back and read it, it's in, found in Genesis chapter 2, and you can pick it up in verse 15. But when God placed Adam in the garden, he told him one thing. He said, listen, I want you, I'm placing you in this garden, and I want you to keep watch over the garden. I want you to take care of it. I want you to work it. And I want you to make sure that nothing else happens to this garden. It's yours. Take care of it. Guard it. Protect it. Do whatever you need to do to make sure that this garden flourishes. Ultimately, God places Adam in the garden. He says, listen, you're the soldier over this garden. He gives Adam this emotion called vigilance. Meaning this, I want you to protect. I want you to stand as a soldier. I want you to guard this garden. I want you to protect it. God has wired us to be aware of our surroundings just like Adam. He has given all of us that emotion of vigilance. So when God originally put Adam in that garden, he said, I want you to be aware. I want you to be on guard. I want you to be vigilant. I want you to take care of this garden. Let me... God, vigilance is the God-given emotion that urges us to act quickly in the response of threat. So, so meaning this, vigilance can flesh out in quite a few different ways. Vigilance is when you walk into your house and you know something is wrong. Vigilance is the mother that walks into her five children and she can just look at one of them and she's like, you're guilty. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Oh, but I know you're guilty. Vigilance is the emotion that you feel maybe when you walk into a crowd of people and you see that one person looking at you and you haven't exchanged words yet, but you know that they're angry at you. Vigilance is that when you walk into a place and all of a sudden maybe you're on the wrong side of town and you feel that emotion of, I probably should get out of here. Probably should get out of here. I was in Kenya a few weeks ago and um, the food is actually terrible. Okay, I'll just be honest with you, it's really bad. So one night, I'm with Matt Murray, and um, he says, hey, listen, man, there is a pizza place about two hours away, and we're starving. It's midnight at this time. He said, there's a pizza place at a hotel about two hours away, and um, anywhere in Africa is going to be a far away away because the roads are, ab- like, terrible. So he said, man, there's a pizza place. It's at this hotel. We can drive down there. Let's go do that. So Matt and I both kind of live life on the edge. We're both adrenaline junkies. We, we take risks. We drive our wives crazy, okay? So we get in the car at midnight. We drive to this hotel two hours away. Well, not only did I find this out until we get there, but we drive up to this hotel, and it's literally on the border of Uganda, which is probably the most dangerous country in Africa. So we get, to this, uh, we get to this hotel, and there's this huge sign that says pizza, and we're like, glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're about to enjoy pizza. 
And we get there, and all of a sudden, this vigilance that I'm talking about, I'm sensing, like, we should not be here. Like, this, there is something wrong here. Something is not going to go good. I don't know if a slice of pizza is worth my life. But we proceeded to go into the hotel. We walk into the hotel, and there are two men with AK-47s that meet us at the door. And we're like, oh, my Lord. They say, excuse me, sir, take off your shirt. I'm like, take off my what? Yes, you're going to need to take off your shirt. We need, to, we need to search you. We need to check you. I'm like, man, this is going to go south in a hurry. So we literally have to take off our shirt. This guy is, like, feeling us down, and I'm just looking at this guy's gun. It's kind of like one of those Sherlock Holmes moments. I'm like, okay, I can grab the gun, shoot him, shoot him. <laughs> but I know that I don't have those skills, you know. And he's searching us down, and we're just here like, bro, we just want some pizza. That is it. And uh, long story short, it ends up being fine. We walk in, and apparently there's just kind of some weird security measure, some weird security check. But in that moment, when we are in this environment, all of your sensors are going off, right? Like, what am I doing here? Why am I on the border of Uganda trying to get some pizza? This is stupid. But if we're not careful, instead of vigilance making us warriors to protect our surroundings, it turns us into worriers, So here's what happens. This is anxiety. Watch this. God gave you this original emotion called vigilance to be aware, to guard yourself, to protect your family. Men, he gave you when you're walking down the street and you see a man eyeing your wife, you're like, okay, I will take you out, son. Right? It's this God-given emotion that he has given you. But watch what the enemy does. If we're not careful, he takes this God-given vigilance, he twists it, he distorts it, and he turns it into anxiety. Meaning this, this God-given emotion of vigilance to be aware of our surroundings, the enemy kind of just twists it a little bit, he distorts it a little bit, he perverts it a little bit, and all of a sudden, instead of being aware of our surroundings, we're hyper-aware of our surroundings. And all of a sudden, instead of just being aware of certain things, we, when we walk into a room, we scan everything. We look at everything. Everything is fixed. Inside, it's everywhere. Chuck, the guy that you saw the story, he said, I used to have to walk into rooms. And he said, as soon as I would walk into a room, I'd have to literally ask myself a few different questions. Number one, is there anyone in this room that wants to, to hurt me? Number two, is there anyone in this room that wants to kill me? And he would go down the list and he would ask himself these questions. He said, once I could answer these questions, okay, no, no, no. He said, the, the anxiety would leave. But vigilance ultimately is the God-given emotion, the God-given design that God has given us to protect ourselves. And all simply the enemy does is he twists it. So what Adam failed to do in the garden, the enemy comes in and he begins to twist things and distorts things. So let me put this in a a different perspective, and, and this might help you understand this. Maybe you grew up in a home with a father or a mother who was an alcoholic. And maybe you would come home from school... And you didn't know how to respond to your dad or your mom in certain moments because they had two different emotions. Maybe you would come home and one, one was mad drunk. So you didn't want to say the wrong thing and they were going to, you know, take a swing at you. Or maybe you came home on some days and all of a sudden it wasn't mad drunk, it was happy drunk. Hey, you can have whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. And so what this did in you is it created a hyper-awareness I don't know how to respond when I'm coming home because I don't know if dad's going to be angry. Or I don't know if dad's going to be happy or sad. I don't know what kind of mood he's going to be in. So what happens is it creates anxiety. 
all of a sudden that God-given vigilance to be aware of your surroundings, the sensor levels have just gone so far up, you don't know what to do anymore. You've learned to always be on guard. You've learned to always be hyper-vigilant, hyper-aware of your surroundings. Ultimately, anxiety is vigilance that is out of control. Anxiety is simply vigilance that is out of control. You continually scan your environment, worried about the what-ifs in life. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this plays out? What if that plays out? Anxiety is also vigilance that is trying to maintain control in a self-protective and self-sufficient way. Meaning that anxiety is vigilance minus faith in God. Or another way to put it, God called Adam to guard the garden and he failed. So Adam stood by Eve as Satan tempted her and did nothing. Let me just back up for a moment. Because most of the time when you hear this story, we usually look at it. It's just like, dang, Eve, if she would have never bit the apple, we would have been all okay, right? She would have never tasted. I don't know if you know this in the story, but you know, as she is being tempted that Adam is standing right next to her. He's standing right there the entire time in the scene. Now, what has he done in that moment? He's failed to protect the garden. He's failed to do the very thing that God has actually called him to do in that moment. Now, when anxiety strikes, it's going to strike two different emotions in you or two different responses. And you see this in Genesis. So Eve bites the fruit. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve's eyes are open. They realize that they're naked, right? Well, anxiety, there's two responses that happen and it results in a flight or fight behavior. And you see this exactly with Adam and Eve, okay? So what ends up happening is when God comes around, he's searching in the garden, and he's saying, hey, Adam, Eve, where are you? What are they doing? They are hiding. They've got fig leaves. I don't know if you've ever worn fig leaves on your bare body. It just doesn't feel good. They're hiding. They have created clothes out of fig leaves. They ran. So you see this first behavior in anxiety. Okay, we're out of here. I don't want to deal with this. So oftentimes this manifests itself in maybe when you're dealing with worry, fear, stress, you're overloaded, you're overwhelmed. Instead of entering into community, the very thing that is going to help you, you you think to yourself, hey, the best thing that I can do is be alone in this moment. Until I can clean myself up, until I can get myself together, then I'll be around people. Adam and Eve hid. They ran away. This is the flight response. Then when they realize, okay, God's ultimately going to find us. We can't hide long enough. So what do they do? Now they decide to fight. <laughs> or, so God says, hey, where have you been? What's been going on? You bit the tree. What happened? And Adam's like, well, that girl he gave me. <laughs> She's the one that did it. What does he do? He goes into the fight mode. He blames his wife. Well, if she wouldn't have done it, then we would have never been in this situation. Ultimately, there's a runaway, there's a run and hide. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this, being, this feeling of being overwhelmed, this feeling of worrying, this feeling of anxiety. Or there's sometimes when you come face to face with it where you know you have to deal with it, there is this fight mentality that comes out. There's actually a family tree of anxiety that kind of plays out. And I think one of the first emotions that you feel when you're dealing with anxiety is simply anger. This is the, the fight response to threat. This is where we take matters into our own hands. So maybe you, you, you figure that, man, my life is not going the way that I need to go, and God is taking too long to figure this out for me. You ever ask yourself, like, God, can you just step aside for a moment? Because, like, the plans that I have for my life could go a whole lot quicker if you just get out of the way. You know what I mean? 
I've looked at my own life sometimes and known exactly where I want to be. And I feel like, God, what's the hold up? Why are you taking so long? And there's this anger that approaches of like, man, what, what is going on? Then there's anxiety that begins to happen. This is the flight response to threat. And here we take our own safety into our own hands. Okay, God, if you're not going to work, I'm, I'm angry now, so I'm going I'm to protect myself. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to fly the plane. I'm going to drive the car. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I don't need God. I'm just going to worry about it myself. But you see, true vigilance, godly vigilance, is the faith response to threat. This is where we engage and we protect, and here we place our safety, not in our hands, but in God's hands. Ultimately, we say, okay, I relinquish this, this feeling of being worried and anxiety, and I give that over to God. Ultimately, God says, be vigilant, be alert, take stand, and having done all, stand firm. Anxiety says this, what if I can't handle this? I need to run. What if I have to fight? I need to self-protect. Ultimately, anxiety, watch this, is scanning without standing in faith. It's looking at your situations and always worrying about the what-ifs in life. And if this doesn't play out, then what, what am I to do about this? Well, if this doesn't happen, then what am I going to do about this? It's a continual worry, a perpetual state of alarm that never goes away. And this is what we would call anxiety. So here's the question. How do I deal with my anxiety when my fear is too great? How do I deal with anxiety when I'm reading the scriptures and I don't feel like they're giving me any relief? How do I deal with anxiety when I feel like everything that I'm trying, I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm doing all these things, but I don't feel like God is coming through? What do I do? The truth is, if you use it correctly, fear can actually drive us to face the fact that we're helpless and that ultimately our safety is out of control. And that ultimately our fear is revealing a desperate, deeper need in our own lives that God is not filling a gap that we desperately need him to fill. You must understand that anxiety is fear out of control. It's fear out of control. Fear compels us to face our neediness, doesn't it? When you look at certain circumstances in your own life and this fear grips you, it could be a reminder that, hey, maybe I'm controlling my life and maybe God is not the one that is actually in control. So here's the question. Where do we run, or let me personalize it, where do you run when you're overwhelmed? What do you run to when fear has gripped you? What do you take off to when anxiety overwhelms you? Because anxiety happens when we turn to ourselves instead of turning to God. Anxiety, as I said earlier, is fear without faith. We scan our horizon, constantly looking at our circumstances, going, what if, what if, what if? So anxiety happens in the first garden. We fail to protect something. Something gets out of control, just like it did for Adam. Eve bit the fruit. He failed to guard. He failed to protect. Anxiety creeps in. But then there's the second garden. And in the second garden, Jesus faced anxiety and fear head on in the midst of being overwhelmed. This is what I love about Jesus is he actually, creator, God of the universe, came down as human flesh and he understands every single emotion and feeling that you experience in this life. That's what I love about him, that he's walked in our shoes, he's felt what we've felt, he's felt that fear, he's felt that anxiety. Jesus, 
displays godly vigilance in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before he's crucified, the night before his imminent death, Jesus has grown up in a Roman Greco world. He knows what a crucifixion is going to look like. He knows the pain that is going to be inflicted upon his body. He knows exactly what is going to happen. And it says the night before he's crucified, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says he's so overwhelmed that he's sweating blood. That's overwhelmed. Now, the thing that I find very interesting about this, and I've always always found this just so perplexing, is it says that he's so overwhelmed that God the Father sends down two angels to encourage him. I don't know if you realize how overwhelmed this is. Watch this. God, the creator of the universe, needs the created to come down, the very beings that he created to encourage him. That's crazy to me. So Jesus is so struck with anxiety. He's so struck with being overwhelmed of his imminent death, the pain, the infliction, everything. He even cries out to God saying, hey God, listen, if there's option two, I'll take that one. If there's any other way out, I'll I'll go with that one. If there's another way out that's not the cross, that's not a ton of pain, I'll go with that one. But Jesus models constructive vigilance in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's very aware of what's going on. There's obviously overwhelmed and anxiety that is at play. But watch this. The thing that makes it different in the second garden, instead of Jesus saying, okay, I'm just going to stay in this perpetual state of alarm, ultimately he entrusts himself to the Father. So he said, okay, I'm so overwhelmed, but God, whatever your will is, I'll go with that. Whatever you want for my life, whatever you say is the best route, whatever is the best option, that's the option that I'll con- that I'll take. So there's constructive vigilance and then there's destructive vigilance. Now the disciples modeled destructive vigilance. Now I want you to notice something about Peter. I love Peter. I named one of my sons Peter. But I love Peter because Peter is often like you and me, right? I, I think he's intentionally in the Bible to just make all of us feel a little bit better about our lives. But Peter, the night before when Jesus is going off into the garden of Gethsemane to pray, Jesus tells all the disciples one thing. He said, I need you to do one thing. I'm going to go off to pray and I want you to pray as well. Now, why does he tell them to pray? Why does he tell them to seek the father? Because he knows the temptation that is about to ensue. He knows the temptation that is about to come. And he's saying, man, if you don't prepare your hearts, if you don't get yourself ready, you're going to fall into this temptation. Which is just a little side note about that. What, what, is, what is he trying to say? He's saying, listen, you need to prepare your heart in private before you ever face the public temptations. And the same is for all of you and me. We fall in, pu- in private before we ever fall in public, don't we? So what is he saying? He's saying, prepare your heart, get ready, because temptation is about to, to happen. It's about to ensue. So that night comes when they come to arrest Jesus. And Peter's there, sword by his side. And the Roman officers come and say, hey, we're taking you. And Peter's like, you ain't taking nobody. Nobody. Rips out his sword, chops off a guy's ear. So this is the fight response to anxiety. Peter's feeling overwhelmed. This is a bad situation I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to chop a dude's ear off and I'm going to show you in this moment who is the man, who's got the situation under control. 
Then he moves, and we know that that doesn't change anything. Then he moves after Jesus or Jesus is being on, on the way to being crucified at this point. And then he moves to another place where the three different times Peter denies Jesus, right? Say, hey, do, weren't you with this guy? Don't you know this Jesus? No, I don't know who he is. Are, are you sure you don't know? I have no clue who he is. Now, this is destructive vigilance. This is anxiety that has overwhelmed Peter so much that what does he do? He fights and he runs away. Now, I want you to notice something about Peter's anxiety in this situation. Watch this. Nothing about chopping a guy's ear off and nothing about Jesus did anything to change the outcome that happened. Jesus was still crucified. Jesus still went to the cross, still paid our debt, and Peter's anxiety in his actions and holding on to that worry and that anxiety did nothing to change the situation. Absolutely nothing. We experience the power of life and death in two gardens, the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's the truth. I find the reason that many of us still hold on to our anxiety and that we still hold on to our worry is because it still gives us a sense of control. If I let go of this, then I'm not controlling anything anymore. If I let go of this worry, then I completely give it over to God and I have nothing to do with the situation anymore. But I want you to notice... Just like Peter, it's the same for all of us. That worry, that continual state of holding on to that doesn't change the situation. We live by the power of the flesh in the first garden, or we live by the power of the spirit in the second garden. And yes, you may be overwhelmed. You may be stricken with fear. You may be full of anxiety. But at the end of the day, if you get to a place, and that's why I said in the very beginning, it's going to take people to help you get there. If you can get to that place of going, man, I, I have to figure out a way where I give this over to the Father. And if I can give this over to the Father, then he'll step in. He'll fight my battles. He'll worry about my worries. He'll fight my anxiety. So the question that I want to leave you with, or the few questions that I want to leave you with today, is when anxiety strikes, what does it drive you to? What is your out? What is your out? Is it a little too much wine? Is it maybe that's why we have substance, ab- uh, substance abuse? And listen, I'll be honest with you. Those things are tempting, aren't they? They, they, they really are. If I, I'd be lying to you if I said that I've never dealt with them myself. It's tempting because it gives us temporary relief. It gives us a moment to escape where we can, man, I can just, I can, uh, in this moment, I can get away. And I, I get it. I understand it. Totally. I understand why people are driven to that because we live in a world that's so busy, that's so chaotic, that's so driven, that's so like, go, 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 go. And sometimes you just want to get home and I just don't want to think about anything. I just want to escape. The thing that I love about Jesus, he says, listen, if you will drink of my water, you'll never be thirsty again. And so it's getting to a place where we can learn in this moment, Sunday morning is, is a time where hopefully the Holy Spirit can come in. He can pinpoint and convict certain areas in your heart. And then your responsibility when you walk out of these doors is to run to the body of Christ to say, this is what I'm dealing with. I'd be lying to you if I said that, hey, you're going to walk out of these doors and you'll never deal with anxiety again. 
But listen, you can start the process today. You can start the process of walking to that place, of walking on the path of freedom. Think about the last time that fear gripped you. What did you do in the middle of it? Last time that anxiety and fear grabbed your soul, what were the things that you ran to? And those are often the indications, okay, these are probably the things that I need to start weaning myself off of. (laughs) It's not necessarily, I've put it like this before, it's not necessarily that like um, Netflix or Facebook or Hulu or any, these, these things are not bad. But why have they become so popular? They become so popular because it gives us a temporary escape, right? You ever found yourself like just caught in like a, like, I don't know why I'm still scrolling on Facebook, but I am. (laughs) Like, what am I doing? Wasted, but I'm still going and I want to, but I can't. I don't know if you've ever seen that commercial on who, it's hilarious, but you, you ever seen that couple that they like, like they wake up like 10 seasons later, this dude's got a beard like this big, hair down the here, like popcorn stuck all over He's like, what day is it? What year is it? Like, we have just been drowning ourselves out in this show. And listen, it's not that these things in of themselves are bad. I think the greatest question that you have to ask yourself is, why do we spend so much time doing them? And that usually is an indication of something going on in our heart. Am I watching it? And am I just, am I watching literally five seasons in a row because I'm just trying to forget about something in my life? And I don't think we consciously say that but subconsciously there's something going on in our hearts last time that fear gripped you are you responding to saying okay god i don't know what to do i need to run to other people i need to i know i'm dealing with this stress this anxiety this feeling of being overwhelmed that's really what i want to leave you with today the the truth is that there is a better place there's a better thing in life that we could be living. You don't have to live life full of anxiety, full of fear, being overwhelmed all the time. I've been there. <laughs> I've been at that place where the, like I can't, my mind doesn't stop. I've been at the place where I lay my head down on the pillow and don't sleep because I'm constantly thinking about the what ifs in life. But you can get to that second garden and you can look at that constructive, that, that vigilance that Jesus modeled. Yes, I'm overwhelmed. Yes, I'm stressed. Yes, I have fear, but I'm going to surrender to the Father. Because ultimately in that surrender, that's where I'm going to find freedom. In that surrender, that's where God's going to step in and meet me in the face of